God, we thank you for, um, for that living word. Um, we thank you for uh, the gift of being able to gather to worship your name. Holy Spirit, I pray that um, as we sang that song, the song of freedom, um, declaring um, the work that you have done in our lives, Lord, if there is anyone in this room that still remains in bondage to sin who cannot sing that song uh, with truth, um, knows in their heart that they are not free. Holy Spirit, would you wash over them, even in this moment, would you speak to their hearts and, and tell them the truth that yes, we were dead in our sins, we were far from you, we were your enemies. And in that moment, you sent your son to lay down his life, to take on your wrath that was due to us because of that state. You laid it all on him. He took that. He died. He was the final sacrifice for all sin, for all time. But three days later, he took up his life again. And he conquered death. And he conquered sin. So that we today could sing of the freedom that we have in Christ. Not because we are all cleaned up, we have our lives perfectly put together, but because our hope, our trust, our confidence, yes, our faith is in the finished work of Jesus. So I, I just rejoice over that truth. I thank you that we get to sing that truth. But I pray most of all right now, Lord, would you reveal that truth to those in this room who don't know it, who are living this life completely in bondage to sin. Your word says that we were once slaves to sin, but as we put our faith in you, we become slaves to righteousness, slaves to Christ. So would you help us all to become slaves, laborers, those who can do nothing but follow you, Lord. Help that to be true of all of our lives today, Lord. Lord, I thank you um, as we open up your word that you can continue to build us up. You can strengthen our faith. You can remind us once again of who you are. So I pray that you would do that now. This wouldn't be a time of just a man speaking, but that you would speak, Lord. Do the work that only you can do. Speak truth. Redeem the lost, Lord. We plead for this to happen in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Good morning. It is uh, great to be with you again, and we are uh, returning. I want to just uh, acknowledge if you were with us last week um, and you got to hear from Pastor Brian, I, I know that you were blessed. If you missed that, um, if you want to catch up on our study in the book of Daniel, um, you can also catch up on that. Use our website, our podcast to go and listen to that message. I, I do want to just encourage you. I was so blessed to be able to sit under uh, Pastor Brian's teaching last weekend, and um, I know that you will be blessed uh, by the same. So I want to encourage you to get on our uh, site and go listen to that message. But as I said, we are returning um, to the book of Daniel before. 
before uh, we get into the book of Daniel, I just want to highlight um, those things because I know uh, Frank mentioned them, some of the busyness of this week. This is a busy week for our church family, and I just want to kind of highlight a few things in terms of announcements. Um, if you are uh, a guy and, and you've wanted to know, hey, I'd like to get a little bit more connected to this church. I've been visiting and kind of, you know, just around, but I really want to get to know some guys. That Thursday evening dinner um, is a great opportunity for you to do that. So I just want to encourage you to make it to the Wild Game Dinner. Um, there is a, a registration, and the reason there's a registration is simply so that we can hopefully have enough food. So that's the, that's the reason that we're doing that. Um, but uh, I want to just encourage you guys, be at that dinner. Um, and as he said, uh, the, the next kind of line, if, if you have been around for a while and um, have not uh, joined us in Covenant Partnership, become a member of our church, uh, we want to invite you to do that. And so if you come on Wednesday evening, um, that's uh, not, you don't have to join on Wednesday evening, but if you want to learn more about what it means to be a member of our church, that's definitely uh, the place for you to be on Wednesday evening. So I want to just encourage you um, uh, to be there. And uh, Frank talked about the class that we have starting tomorrow night for parents. And uh, I've got three teenage sons, and I can just tell you that conversations about Christ, uh, who he is, those are the most important conversations that I have. Um, and so uh, if you don't have a lot of, uh, you don't feel like you have a lot of confidence in those conversations, then please um, join uh, that group. Last announcement-wise, this is sort of a, something I want us to look forward to, um, but uh, for those of you that have been around maybe for a little while, uh, you might uh, be amazed just to think about this, but on the, at the end of this month, on March 30th, uh, we'll celebrate the Parks Church five-year anniversary. So if you're new with us, the reason that we kind of just sometimes seem like like train wrecks is because we're still toddlers. I mean, we haven't even made it to kindergarten yet, okay? So, uh, but we're uh, going to celebrate our five-year anniversary on March 30th, and um, we have always said since we started this church that we're a community of people loving our city because of the person Jesus Christ. Because of who Christ is to us, we feel compelled to love our city, and we have always talked about that God has sovereignly brought us to this place to minister to this city, to care for it. And so uh, the best way for us to celebrate our five-year anniversary is not to have a party just for ourselves, but it's to love our city. And so we are going to serve our city um, and gather the entire city at one table for a meal. And so we want to make sure that you know about that. Uh, we will have invitations printed that you can hand out to friends and neighbors. This isn't about coming to the Parks Church. This is about us just, hey, we want to love on you and feed you a meal. Um, and so it's going to be a really great opportunity uh, for us to do that. So make that Saturday, March 30th at lunchtime, 1130 to 1-ish or so. Uh, put that on your calendars today and uh, be prepared to start inviting people to come to the table and have a meal with us. Uh, as we just celebrate all that God's done in the life of our church. Now, I said finally, one of the beauties of being a dad is that you get to embarrass your kids, and uh, I get to do that a little more than others because I often have a mic. And so um, today is my middle son's 16th birthday, um, so it's not St. Patrick's Day. 
it's Saint, or Mr. Carson Day, but he didn't wear green today, and so the reason I am uh, embarrassing him is that I want you to find him after service, and when I was in school, they used to like pinch us on the elbow if you didn't wear green, so be sure and grab him and uh, pick on him a little bit for not wearing green, and wish him a happy birthday, so... Love you, baby. Um, So now to Daniel chapter 5. You heard, as Kirsty read for us, we uh, ended in chapter 4 two weeks ago, um, King Nebuchadnezzar's story. And I share with you that would be the last time that we'd hear of King Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel. And moving on, as we get to chapter 5, we're going to read about his son. But I wanted us to just uh, have a uh, Kirsty to kind of read that for us to remind us of what had happened with Nebuchadnezzar. And if you've been with us for a few weeks, or perhaps you've read this story before, you might remember that King Nebuchadnezzar had these dreams, and these dreams were essentially of his kingdom being lost, him building up himself, him building idols to himself, and then demanding that the people would worship, and then God would send and give him a dream, and in the midst of that dream, he would see God telling him, you're going to lose your kingdom. So he did that once, and so then he kind of, he was humbled a little bit, tried to throw uh, Daniel's friends in the the, uh, fiery pit, that didn't work out for him, so he was humbled before God just a little bit, but years pass on, and so now he builds a a tower, a tower of gold to himself, another idol, and God says, no, we're not going to stand for that. You're going to lose your kingdom. And so he drove Nebuchadnezzar crazy. Nebuchadnezzar was sent out into the fields and literally, as an animal would, was eating of the grass of the field. I know that sounds crazy to us, but, and it is crazy, but that's literally what happened. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, the most powerful man in the world at that time, at that moment in history was sent out, and he was eating of the grass of the field. But he acknowledged, as was read for us, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes, this is verse 34 of chapter 4, and my, retur- and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. Finally, Nebuchadnezzar, at the end, was... His reason was returned to him, and he acknowledged God, and he acknowledged who God was. Nevertheless, the consequence of his sins was that he lost his kingdom. He did not remain king forever. There's always consequences for sin. And so he extolled God, lifted God, and he, um, he praised him, it says. He praised all his ways, but then ultimately he died and a new king was put in place. And so in chapter 5, it begins in verse 1, King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousands. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple um, and, and might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had... Excuse me, he brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank of them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. So now here we have Nebuchadnezzar's son. He is following in the footsteps of his father. Now you might think it would seem right That if he had seen, as a son often would, seen what his father did, seen the acts of his father, seen all the ways that Nebuchadnezzar had lived, that perhaps he might have followed in his father's footsteps at the end of his life as he was praising God and acknowledging the God of the universe. But unfortunately, for whatever reason, Belshazzar did not. And he finds himself throwing a party, gathers all the people in the party, and then he takes out, he has the, 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 
parts of the temple that were used for worship. He has them brought in to be used sacrilegiously for this grand party that he was throwing. You might remember from chapter 1 that when Nebuchadnezzar, he went in to Jerusalem and he brought all of Daniel and all his people with him. He also brought out all of the things of the temple, the gold and the silver and all of the ornamental things. And he brought them and they had just evidently been sitting in storage for a while. Well, he says, hey, we need to get those things out of storage. We can use them. We can have some fun with these things. And so he says, we're going to have a party. He throws this great party. But as... Nebuchadnezzar, his father, learned, and now as Belshazzar would even more quickly learn, God will not be mocked, and God will judge. And so immediately, it says in verse 5, immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way, his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring the enchanters and the Chaldeans and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple, have a chain of gold around his neck, and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king its interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and his color changed, and his lords were perplexed. Here we have this son. Does any of this story sound familiar? Again, if you've been walking with us through Daniel, it should sound somewhat familiar. We have a king who has a vision, or in, that, in his father's uh, uh, stance, it was a vision or a dream. Here he literally sees this hand. We get the phrase, by the way, the writings on the wall. Anybody ever say that? That's where we get this phrase from. And so the writing, the hand was writing on the wall. And it scared the king, once again, although he was his son, taking over his father's kingdom, one of the most powerful men in the world, scared him to death. His color changed. I love the detail that God gives us in his word. His color was changed. Probably he was turned to pale white in fear and trembling, and he was perplexed and alarmed. Possibly he understood And had a little bit of a glimpse of, I saw what happened to my dad. I saw my dad driven out into the fields to eat of the grass like an animal. What is going to happen to me? He might have thought about that as he saw this writing and acknowledging this must be God doing this. What does he have in store for me for this party I've thrown? And so his color has changed and then the queen His wife comes to his aid in verse 10. It says, The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. Again, I just think that's so funny that she acknowledges that. There's a man in your kingdom in whom whom is the spirit of the holy gods. Now, it's interesting. She says the spirit of the holy gods, plural. She doesn't acknowledge that there is one true God. She doesn't recognize, even though she understands that Daniel has been given a gift, that Daniel is uniquely set apart, she doesn't recognize that that is because he is a servant of the most high God, the only God, the true God. In the days of your father, she continued, in the days of the father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him 
chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers, because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show you the interpretation. So she had seen what Daniel had done. She had seen the giftings of Daniel. She had seen how God had used Daniel in Nebuchadnezzar's life. And so she understood that, but she missed that it was the one true God. How often in our world can you think about, I can think of any number of moments where we see God at work and we fail to acknowledge that it is God at work? When's the last time you said, what a coincidence? Not a coincidence. The hand of Almighty God, who is sovereign over all the kings, even King Nebuchadnezzar, even King Belshazzar. When have you thought to yourself and you've seen something at work and you thought, that's amazing how all of that came together? We always do it in hindsight. It's always as I'm having conversations, I love I'm having a conversation with someone and they'll say to me, I could so clearly see the hand of God on this as I look backwards. But in the moment, we don't usually see the hand of God so clearly. It's because we're not wired. We, we, we don't really trust that God is sovereign. We have, a, we have a problem of putting ourselves at the center of the story and putting ourselves as the center of attention and believing that it is whatever that it is that we are doing that is most in control. Do you face a challenge and a trial? Right now, I, I expect all of us at some degree have something of burden weighing on our shoulders. Some, it is great. It's heavy. Some, it might not seem so heavy, but it's still, you feel a little bit burdened about it. Perhaps you're overwhelmed as to what might face you tomorrow. Here's what I can probably tell you. At some point in your life, wherever you are in this moment, you will look back and you will say, I can, I can clearly see the hand of God at work in my life. He was navigating my steps. He was guiding me. He was directing my path. He was at work in this. But right now, you don't see it. Right now, you can't see it. You have a hard time understanding how is it possible that God could be at work in this moment. The queen missed who was at work in Daniel's life. We do that all of the time. Let me encourage you, brothers and sisters, that God is sovereign over the universe. That statement being true is not just when it comes to big and mighty things. God's sovereignty over the state of the universe, God's sovereignty in his hand at work in your life is always there, always present, always true. He never lifts his hand from us because if he did, we would die immediately. We would lose our lives. But God's hand is there, and so right now, in this moment, as you face whatever struggle and trial, whatever question, whatever doubts might be in front of you, whatever uncertainty is if you're stepping forward and you have no idea what is right there in front of you, trust, have faith, believe, realize that God is sovereign. He is over it all. 
And so, yes, when we are in the midst of those trials, when we are in the midst of the heavy things that this life can bring, that is when we so quickly want to focus inward. We want to, our, our, our hearts and minds and our, our attention just gets drawn sort of to whatever is right in front of us and we lose sight. Don't be like the queen. Realize that God is at work, the one true God. He has not forsaken you. He has not forgotten you. He's not turned his back on you. He is with you, as Jesus promised, even till the ends of the age. He will be with you always. We need to remember in the midst of those trials, not just be able to look backwards, but be able to acknowledge as hard as it might be for us to understand, to just trust that God is at work. So the queen calls for Daniel to be brought in to, be in, to interpret the writing on the wall. So Daniel is brought before the king. It picks up in verse 13. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king, my father, brought from Judah. Perhaps he'd seen Daniel around the courts before. He kind of knew his prestige. Obviously, the queen had acknowledged him. I've heard of you that the spirit of the gods is in you. Again, Belshazzar doesn't acknowledge that, hey, God is at work, the one true God, but the spirit of the gods, lowercase g, these pagan gods that they believed in. I hear that the spirit, I heard of you and that the spirit of the gods is in you and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. By the way, this is for free. Imagine if that was the testimony of everyone that we knew. I've heard of you. Even more, those that don't know us. As we meet up at Starbucks with a friend and they introduce that third party and the third party walks in and he says, oh yeah, I've heard of you. I've heard that light and understanding and the spirit of wisdom resides in you. Not craziness, not insanity, not train wreck. No, the spirit of wisdom I've heard I've, your, the reputation of God at work in your life before you goes, it, it, it precedes you. That should be the aim of all of our lives. As I read that, just struck by, that is what I want to happen in my life. I want, as people come to know me, not that they've heard of my name, but they've heard, I, I understand that God is at work in your life. Your friends have told me that God is at work in your life. What a joy that would be. So he's brought in, and he's uh, Belshazzar. Belshazzar asks what it is that this dream might mean, or this uh, the handwriting on the wall. He says, "Now, if you can read the writing, this is verse sixteen. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck, and shall be the third ruler of the kingdom." Daniel. If you can help me, I will pour out my riches upon you. I'll clothe you in purple. I'll put a robe on you, a chain around your neck. I'll lift you up. I will exalt you. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself. I've got no need, king, for your worthless, lowly, earthly trophies that will turn to dust. I'm a, king, I'm a son of the Most High God. I do not need your praise. 
I, don't, I do not need your exaltation. I've been exalted by my God, the one true God. I've been lifted up. I've been acknowledged by him. We chase after the trophies of this world. How many of us would love if we translated robes of purple and chains of gold? Some of us want the chains. <laughs> Translate that to the, our modern ears. I'll give you the prestige. I'll give you the position. I'll give you the power. I'll give you the wealth. I'll give you the car. I'll give you the job. I'll give you the girl. I'll give you all of these things. If you would acknowledge me, if you would just help me. Sound familiar to the temptation of our Lord and Savior as he was brought before all of these things and our enemy, Satan, tempted him to throw down the gifts, the, the, ultimately who he was as God and worship the creation? That's not what we're to do. Daniel says, I've got no need for your gifts, and you can give your rewards to somebody else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. So he begins in verse 18. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed, and whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up, and whom he would, he humbled. That's who your father was, young man. But when his heart was lifted up, and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne, and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind, and his mind was made like that of a beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will." Daniel retells all that we have read in chapters 2 and 3 about Nebuchadnezzar. And he says, this is who your father was. But let me tell you who my father is. Let me tell you about God, the sovereign, who even over this great man, Nebuchadnezzar, had no power. He was teaching him. He was reminding him. And we can learn from this. And what Nebuchadnezzar's life teaches us is that, yes, God establishes kingdoms and kings. And Nebuchadnezzar lost his kingdom because God said, it's no longer time for you to be king, Nebuchadnezzar. And so just as he had set him up and given him all of that power and given him all of the abilities that he had given, he took him right down. The same is true today. God will set up and God will take down. God will give power, and God will take it away. It's not to be worshipped. It's not to be thought of as the greatest achievement. It's to be understood that God and His sovereignty sets up kings and rulers and takes them down according to His perfect will. But Belshazzar is going to learn an even greater lesson than his father did because he didn't learn from his father. It says, as he continues, verse 22, And you, his son, Belshazzar, you saw all this. You know all this. Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven 
and the vessel of his, uh, vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know. But God, in whose hand is your breath, and whose are all your ways, you have not honored. Daniel lays down three charges against Belshazzar. You knew, and yet you did not obey. You saw all that happened to your father, and you did not follow him. You saw the power that he had. You saw him humbled before God. You saw him then return after being humbled before God to worship the one true God. And yet you did not follow. So often when we think about God, many of us who, if you're in this room and you don't acknowledge Christ, you don't acknowledge God's hand at work in your life, you have not been placed your faith in Christ, been given the gift of faith to believe. If you think about God, one of the challenges that you might be thinking about is, well, what about this person over here? Some of us, as we've shared Christ with our friends, they've had this charge against God about what about this situation or what about that situation or what about this. All of these things that are sort of out there in the clouds, these ideas and questions, and those questions are not unfair. Those questions are not unfounded. Those questions can be dealt with. But what God is asking us, what God is saying to Belshazzar in this moment, what about you? You have heard. You do know. You have seen. So brothers and sisters, friends of those that do not know Christ have distanced yourself to push back against God. You have heard, you have heard today that I am a sinner worthy of the wrath of God, that that sin was laid on a man named Jesus who lived a real and perfect and sinless life. And after he, took, he was killed, he raised up three days later, conquering sin and death, so that as I put my faith in him, I can be called a child of the Most High God. I can be received into God's family. You've heard. Do you believe? Do you follow in obedience? If you don't know how to do that, let me just encourage you right now. At the end of this service, I'm going to be right down front with a few of our elders will be down here. Or perhaps you're here with a friend. And I can promise you that friend would like nothing more than to have a conversation about how you would, or to understand that, to grasp, but to just completely say, I don't need to hear that. I don't need that message. I have no use for that. That's what Belshazzar was doing. He had seen it all. And Daniel says, you saw all that God did in your father's life, and you were not humbled by it. You were not brought low. You did not find yourself saying, I need to acknowledge who this God is, this God that my father is worshiping now. No, you turn your nose on that. You said, no, I'll just do whatever I want to do. I'll do it however I want to do it. And that leads to the second charge. It says, you've lifted yourself up. You knew all of these things, and yet you lifted yourself up, it says in 23. You put yourself over God. Belshazzar, like many of us, like me, at times in my own life, saw what he wanted to see, did what he wanted to do. 
Ever say, I don't feel like it? Ever think, that's not really, I don't think I want to do that. I don't, I, don't, I don't want to go there. I don't want to have that conversation. I don't want to do this or that. Or I do want to do this, and I really don't care what anyone has to say about it. I want to indulge in this. Whatever those things are, whether you are, have walked into things and just said it's all about me, it's whatever I want to do, and I really don't care about anything else or anyone else, or saying, no, I'm not going to do this, I won't go here, I won't go there, and I really don't care about what that means for anyone else, wherever it is, you're placing yourself above God. Belshazzar was placing himself above God. What he desired was the most important thing in his mind. What he wanted was the most important thing in his mind. Now, when we're children, students, as you have grown up, there were times in your life where what you wanted and needed, all you had to do was wail out, and mom and dad would come run and bottle, all right? But as we grow up, by the way, that's probably not the best parenting tip, just kind of strike that. You need to wait the three hours. There's some whole book about that. Anyway, that's not what I'm here for. But as we grow up and mature, we have to make a transition. There comes a point in our life where we have to say, it's not all about me. It's not what I want. It's about something bigger than that. It's about something bigger than me. But the, 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 one of the greatest detriments of our flesh, of our sin, is the pride that seeps in that says, it's whatever I want right now. And our culture and our society has fed that. Yes. I had some, a couple weeks ago, I acknowledged that I've had some problems with my back, and so... I went to see a physical therapist this week, and um, he had this fantastic device. Uh, it was a foam roller, and this foam roller, though, vibrated. And so as I rolled my back on this and did the work with the physical therapist, great joy befell me. <laughs> That's biblical talk for it was great. It worked. My back felt tremendously better. As luck would have it, I turned on my computer and Amazon offered me a $10 discount on a foam roller with a vibration device inside it. Amazing. Guess what? I bought it. Came to my house the same day. What I want, what I think I need, right now, immediately, and everything in the world tells me that's how I'm supposed to live. Tells me that's what's right. Tells me that that's what it should be. Convenience and freedom and all of these things revolve around us putting ourselves at the center of the universe, at the center of our own worlds. And we must remember, we've got to acknowledge God. We cannot place ourselves above God. Belshazzar had failed to see God, to acknowledge Him, and to humble himself below God. We do the same. And then finally, the third charge, he says... And the vessels of his house you brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives, and your, con- your wives and your concubines have drunk from them. They ultimately it might not sound like this, but they had a worship service to themselves, to the idols of their day, to these vessels of drink and eating and all of these things. They worshipped Belshazzar, worshipped the created rather than the creator. And how often we do this. All these things created by man that were intended to be used to lead to worshiping God, twisted and manipulated to serve his own desires. 
to serve his own heart, to lead him to the worship of idols. Rather than worshiping the giver of those gifts, acknowledging God as providing those gifts, he turned and worshiped the created things. I think, brothers and sisters, that's one of the greatest challenges to our Christian faith, to our walk with Christ, to us being known as those people of truth and of spirit and wisdom, is we worship the created things. All those things that God has given us as good gifts become gods to us, little g gods. They become idols of worship. Wrongly, we put them in a place they don't belong, and in a, we put a weight on them that they cannot hold. Every situation, I just want you to just think about it. Maybe in this moment it won't come to you immediately, but this afternoon and this evening as you just process potentially through this, this word, reread this text, maybe think about Belshazzar a little bit more. Think about all of the things in your life that have failed you. You know why they stick in your memory? Because more, like, more than likely, if you're like me, they were things that were wrongly worshipped. They were put in a place that they didn't belong. They were told that they are gods and they could not bear the weight of being God to us. And they crumble. Relationships, power, possessions, prestige, on and on I could go. We put these things in a place they don't belong. And we hang on them the weight of being God. And they can't bear that weight. They will always fail you. Every situation that I find myself in as we walk beside brothers and sisters who are struggling in one form or another, it turns into, as we peel the onion back, we put something some good gift from God intended to bring us joy by God, we put it in a place where it didn't belong. And now it's crumbled underneath that weight and our lives we find are in shambles, struggling to make sense. Belshazzar didn't acknowledge. And so after those three charges that Daniel presents to Belshazzar about all that he had done, he wraps it up with this bow, this reminder, a reminder for us today. Belshazzar, you've done all these things, and here's what you haven't done. But the, hand, but the God, big G God, in whose hand is your breath, and whose are all your ways, you have not honored. The God in whose hand is your breath. Do you ever think about breathing? You don't until you can't breathe. I don't like to scuba or snorkel, mainly because, as crazy as it might sound to you guys, big fish kind of freak me out. So I get down there underwater, and I see that giant grouper, and I know I don't think a grouper does anything to a human, but it's big, it's giant. I am powerless. I, I have practiced and tried to throw punches underwater, and they don't work. So it just kind of freaks me out. 
But beyond the, the big fish that I see periodically that kind of scare me, even, by the way, if you saw me, I'm, it, little fish kind of freak me out. Just anything that might just be around that I can't punch, all right, b bothers me. Don't quote that. Clip that. But there's also been a, a few times in my life where I've gotten under the water and because I'm a novice and I don't know anything about what I'm doing but just think this kind of looks cool, I've allowed that water to get in under the snorkel and I'll go too deep and then I find myself and I can't breathe. I can't breathe without drowning. It kind of messes with you. In that moment, you think about breathing. You think about the gift of breath. A lot of us, we just breathe in and breathe out and it never is of any consequence or care to us. We go and we worship idols and we lay down our lives to things that are insignificant and it just doesn't seem to bother us at all. We have all of these things going on in our life, the busyness of our days and our schedule, and we just move on and on and we just sort of float through life completely unaware that God is sovereign and is still in control and on his throne. And our breath and all of our ways are in his hands. And at any moment, he says, no more. In his hand, your breath, your life is in his hands. Only because God says so do we not all immediately perish in this moment. Only because God says so tomorrow morning will we wake up. Now, when we reach someone, the end of someone else's life, when we face tragedy and we see all of the brokenness of this world come kind of face to face with us, in those moments, we'll say, yeah, again, looking backwards, we'll say, life is fleeting. Hug your loved ones. Be sure and tell them how much you love them. Tell whatever, whatever steps it is that we need to take to kind of say, yeah, we get that life is short, life is brief. But when we really acknowledge the sovereignty of God, when we worship him for who he is, we understand that every breath we take is a gift from him Amen. because he's allowed it to happen. Every step we take out into this world and encounter other people and live our lives doing all the things that we do is only because God allows it. And how do we live? How do we use that breath? How do we live our lives? The warning that Daniel gave to Belshazzar is you didn't do any of it for the glory of God. You didn't live your life, although you saw your father and the way that he lived, although you knew who God was. You didn't do any of that for his glory. We need to remember the sovereignty of God, his hand always at work at all times. And can you imagine as if you walked, you're walking into Starbucks, thanks for that breath, God. Thanks for that breath, God. Thanks for that breath, God. Now, I know we might look crazy, and that sounds a little bit, you know, kind of out there. But just in your heart, acknowledging, do you think as you encountered someone, you would say, I'm only here because God allowed me to be here. We might need to have a conversation about something. I want to tell you who it is that has sustained my life, who carries me along, who it is that uh, does everything that is going on in my life is only because he allows us. It's a gift from him. Do you believe that? Do our lives reflect the knowledge of that truth? So often they don't. We need to remember who God is. 
Belshazzar learned a harder lesson than his father. His father lost his kingdom. But in verse 24, as we end this chapter, God teaches Belshazzar an even greater lesson. Then from his presence, the hand was sent, the hand that had been writing. And this writing was inscribed, and this is the writing that was inscribed, Mine, Mine, Tekel, Parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Daniel's going to tell him what that word, what the writing on the wall was and what it says. Mine, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Belshazzar, I regret to inform you that your kingdom is no longer. He's numbered you and the days are over. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. His father lost his kingdom and it was passed on to his son. Belshazzar lost the kingdom altogether. And the kingdom passed from the hands of of Nebuchadnezzar's family to the Medes and the Persians. Here's the truth for us, though, as I end on this note. God has numbered our days. Tekel, you have been weighed and found wanting. I was weighed and I was found wanting. Rather than losing my life, rather than being killed in that moment, because of God's great love for me, he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to take the weight of my sin upon himself so that three days later he could raise up, take his life up again, and call me his son. We have all been weighed. We are all found wanting. God in his sovereignty, because of the power that he holds in the palms of his hands, said, I will make a way for you to still come to me. I'll give you Jesus. And guess what Jesus said right before he was killed? John 14, or excuse me, John 19, verses 10. Pilate says to him, he's standing before Pilate, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. The enemy has no authority over us. Nothing that God has not granted to him. Jesus went to the cross because we've been weighed and found wanting and he made a way for us to be made whole, to be redeemed. So in spite of the fact of all of those things that we do very similar to Belshazzar, Jesus still came for us. He still came to lay down his life for us. And because of that, we can go out into the world and trust God's hand is sovereign over every aspect of our lives. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the life that you have given me. I confess before you that so often I, although I know you, I don't seek obedience I lift myself up over you. I yield to worshiping of things that you've given me as good gifts. I put them in wrongful places. 
So today I just confess that to you, Jesus. And I thank you that in spite of um, your knowledge of who I am, your, your knowledge of all those things, you still chose to go to the cross to lay down your life for me. What a joy. What, a, what an amazing thought that the God of the universe, God that gives me every breath I take, would see all of the ways that I fail and still send his son to die for me. I worship you today, Jesus. I thank you for your love for me. I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room that, like me, are often have been weighed and found wanting. I pray that they would know who you are. They would know you as Lord. God, I pray for our church family that you would just help us to be people who don't have to always look backward and see your hand at work in our lives, but we can trust and have confidence and and even faith to believe that even in this moment, in the midst of a trial, in the midst of great pain, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of hardships, that you are in control, that you are perfect, that your ways are good. Help us to live our lives just submitted to that truth, God. And as we fail to do that, help us to remember who we are in Christ Jesus. Because you said that I have died for you. Because you took up your life again for us. Father, I just lift up my my, my friends in this room who who are in the midst of those hard days, who have faced uncertainty and challenges. Would you just strip out all of the, anything that's uncertain or untrue from what has been said today, and would you just in this moment and as they walk away from this place, just remind them of your unbelievable love for them, your care for them? Would you remind them, affirm in their hearts that you have not forgotten them? You have not forsaken them. Help us to remember that you are God, that we are not. What a joyous truth that is. Thank you for our time together, Lord Jesus. We love you. We pray these things in your mighty name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Parks Church of Melissa podcast. We meet at 1030 Sunday mornings at Melissa Middle School, and we look forward to seeing you there soon. The Parks Church, for the city, about a person.